Hello and welcome to the Tech.eu podcast for myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Vaza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. This week we will be covering Spanish startup Wallapop's first acquisition. We'll be talking about the latest tiny edition of Raspberry Pi, known as Raspberry Pi Zero. We'll be talking about Deliveroo's latest round of funding, yet another round, and its ambitious takeover the world plans. We'll be featuring Google Ventures' Avid Larizade Duggan. And Code.org's Hour of Code is coming up in December, so we've decided to cover some different code education projects that you should know about based in Europe. So kicking it off with Spanish startup Wallapop. This is obviously a Barcelona-based startup that was launched in October 2013. They've become somewhat of a phenomenon in the classifieds and mobile marketplace space. The company has raised several rounds of funding, is backed by investors like Excel and Insight Venture Partners, And there were rumors of a potential 100 million round in May, but they were never officially confirmed by the company. Yeah, I mean, their history in terms of their funding is pretty odd, actually. I don't think they've ever disclosed a round. And all of their kind of funding rounds have been pretty much guessed at. Although the kind of the best guesses are that they raised, I think they raised like a couple of million at first, like 1.6 million euros was the first round they ever raised. Then everyone's next best guess is 25 million, then 40 and these are separate rounds, sorry. So 1.6, 25, 40. And then there was even rumors last May of one as big as $100 million. So it's pretty weird. They've literally never disclosed a funding round. So I was trying to think about why that is. And I think maybe it's because this area is super competitive. So perhaps it is just a sense that they don't want their competitors to have an idea of how much money they've raised. I mean, it's pure speculation and, you know, it makes some sense, but but maybe not complete sense. But I see no other reason why they just like constantly not disclosing this information. So if you add all that up, they've raised nearly like 160 million-ish dollars. So it's quite a sizable amount. You'd probably imagine that the next amount they raise would actually kind of put them into the near a billion dollar valuation as well. But perhaps we'll never find that out. So they might actually get to the point next year of being a Spanish unicorn, but without actually officially being one, because no one will know how much they've raised. But in terms of their competitors, there's a couple of interesting ones. There's one in the US called OfferUp, and they've been trying to raise quite a bit of money recently as well. There was rumors of them trying to raise about $100 million. And there's also uh, Depop, which is Baldston-backed, and is based in London, they raise an $8 million Series A as well. So maybe on the up-and-coming scale, maybe not quite where Wallapop is yet, but it is quite a crowded place, uh, and perhaps that's why they're hiding how much they've raised. Yeah, it's just so odd that they wouldn't confirm how much they've raised. I just think that's so contrary to all the strategies that we see today, even the tiny amounts that people raise, sometimes several hundred thousand euros or pounds, what have you, people are communicating. So very interesting. But investments aside, this past week, the company around announced its first acquisition of a company called Sellit. So this is a classifieds marketplace launched in November of 2014 by Fabrice Grinder who is a well-known French entrepreneur and Patrick Hauer. What's interesting is that this is a no-cash deal, apparently done a few months ago, and Sellit employees received Wallapup stock in return. And rumors have it that Sellit employees have actually stopped working on the project, so that's post-acquisition. There's been some speculation that one of the reasons for the acquisition may simply be to keep Fabrice Grinda, who is really well-experienced in the classified space, from launching a serious competitor. 
Yeah, I mean, there's that saying of keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer, but this seems to be a pretty expensive way of kind of acting out on that. So I'm not kind of sure how much truth is in that, but I guess there's an element of truth in it. Perhaps they just simply did want him to join and feel that they would be stronger with, with, with him on board rather than being worried about a potential competitor. Maybe it's just about having him on board. So there probably is an element of truth in it, although I doubt that it was because he would build this huge competitor. I, I feel like it's probably more because they felt they would be stronger with him on board. Yeah, I think regardless, we'll have to stay tuned for more Wallapop rumors and hopefully confirmations. Okay, now moving on to the latest edition of Raspberry Pi, the Raspberry Pi Zero. So the BBC has tagged this company as Britain's most successful homegrown computer. It was launched in 2012 to give young people a cheap, small, programmable device. And just when you think it couldn't get any cheaper or smaller, it did. Yeah, I mean, just to just to give some kind of stats to back up the BBC's most successful tag is that actually it's the fastest selling PC ever. I still find it kind of crazy that you can call it a PC because it is so kind of tiny and minimal and it's not really what you think of when you kind of grew up in the 80s and 90s. And it's also second only to Amstrad in terms of units sold for a British computer as well. So really, really incredibly successful. And so the latest edition of Raspberry Pi, known as the Raspberry Pi Zero, is being manufactured in Wales and it's sold for only $5 or £4 in the UK. There are numerous photos online showing the Raspberry Pi being smaller than a dollar bill, a battery, even a stick of gum. I encourage listeners to go and check out all the creative photos that are, that are online. It's 65 millimeters by 30 millimeters tiny board. It's said to be slower than the full-size Raspberry Pi 2, but it is still faster than the first edition of Raspberry Pi. And Magpie, which is Raspberry Pi's magazine, is including a free version of Raspberry Pi Zero in this month's edition of the magazine. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned the 80s and the 90s a minute ago. I remember when you could used to get a CD on the front of a magazine, and now you can get a whole computer. So things have definitely changed. It's, it's pretty incredible that you can... Uh, get a computer with a magazine just in your local shop. So yeah, really incredible. And actually, it's uh, when this kind of news came out and there was all this coverage about Raspberry Pi, I just thought, what a great ambassador for European tech in general this is. You know, it's something that that kind of has good principles in terms of kind of helping kids get into coding or encouraging people to look at computers. It's cheap so people can afford to use it. It's incredible technology. So I really think that it's a great ambassador for the European scene. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know that it's European. Yeah, I would agree with that. So yeah, we'll definitely have to stay tuned. And what's also hilarious was when I saw that the Magpie was giving it away, I initially was like, wow, they must be spending so much money. And then I realized, actually, it's probably just about the price of the magazine. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have yeah. to kind of keep things in perspective. Yeah, the paper was probably just as expensive. Exactly. So now moving from Raspberry Pi away to a topic that I feel like we have to cover it every single week. This week, we'll be talking about Deliveroo's plans to take over the world. But it generally feels like we can't do an edition of the podcast without talking about Deliveroo or some kind of food service delivery something these days. So I think we might be in a bubble. UK-based Deliveroo has announced yet another round of funding. So the company announced most recently $100 million to conquer Asia. They've been rumored to be eyeing markets like Dubai, Singapore, Australia, and Hong Kong. Yeah, pretty ambitious. And the fact they're expanding to Asia and uh, looking at kind of new markets, I actually found it 
quite funny. I made a sarcastic comment on Twitter at the time is I live in zone three in London, which is pretty central and they still don't deliver out here. I kind of check it weekly because I really want to use it. You know, someone who doesn't have much time, it's a great service to kind of order in better food. I think it's really great. But I, yeah, like I say, I live kind of central London almost, and they still don't deliver here. So I feel like they're moving very, very quickly, kind of jumping into the Asian market when they haven't kind of, you know, then they're still even in their kind of home market. Um, although they're, they're kind of really present here now and you see a lot of advertisement and they are very spread out you see their people actually delivering fairly regularly now so they've kind of become more visible but yeah i mean they still don't deliver to zone three so they're kind of i i guess they're they're moving into new markets while they're yet to completely capitalize on existing ones so it's quite interesting to see but i'm sure that's exactly why they need to raise that amount of money that's really interesting. I think we're probably starting to see some companies adopting this quick launching different country strategy. It's kind of reminding me of Rocket a little bit and also yeah. Uber. But I mean, there's their strategies there for a reason. It's very interesting if you're in zone three and you can't get delivery. Nope. Um, but the latest round of funding was raised with DST Global. And I think many people know its famous Russian investor slash co-founder Yuri Milner. He has invested in companies like Facebook, Spotify, Zynga, Twitter, Groupon, Alibaba. I think his portfolio is phenomenal. The round also includes other investors, including Green Oaks Capital, Hummingbird Ventures, Excel, and Index. So this round is following the other two rounds that they've announced this year as well. They announced a $70 million round in July and $25 million in January. It really just feels like we're in a food delivery bubble. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's kind of ridiculous. Like you said, we're talking about this nearly every week. At least something is happening in this sector. And I think I've mentioned before, like, I really feel that a lot of the time when it's a sector that Rocket are involved in, because they have such a war chest and so much capital behind them, and they kind of really back their companies really aggressively, like you said, going to new markets quickly, people need a lot of money to do that. So Rocket are able to do that put all the money into these companies but the companies that compete in in this sector so like the food sector the kind of on-demand cleaning sector those areas where rocket are kind of heavily involved in the competitors also need to spend money just to be able to keep up and to be able to compete so i definitely think we've seen a hell of a lot of money go into this and also a lot of different companies doing it and like we said before i think it was last week when i said you know if i was in this this space, then yeah, I would probably invest in a company just in the hope that it would get kind of gobbled up by one of the bigger guys or, you know, become a part of that because there's a lot of money in it. A lot of people looking to do this aggressively. So yeah, I would say we're kind of seeing a big, you know, we're seeing a lot of competitors and we're seeing a lot of money going in. So yeah, the B word may well be appropriate when it comes to food delivery right now. Yeah, I think uh, I was I was having a conversation not too long ago with someone at Index who actually compared it to the Groupon daily deal bubble that we saw yeah. not too long ago. So maybe we'll see it phase out. But for now, I think we'll probably be talking about it in many more episodes to come. Now turning our attention to this week's person of the week. So this is Google Ventures' Avi Larzada Duggan. We thought she would be a great person to feature, not only because of her incredible background, we'll come to that in a minute, but also because she's involved in Code.org's Hour of Code. This is an international kind of event, learn to code event that takes place the week of December 7th. And we'll be featuring a little bit more about this event after we go over her profile. So Avid is currently a general partner at Google Ventures, which she joined in 2014. 
prior to even joining Google, though, she already had a very impressive background. She was at Excel for a few years before moving on to co-found UK-based startup and jewelry marketplace, Botica. Yeah, I'm going to hold my hands up here and maybe embarrass myself, but actually I hadn't heard of her before. I'm kind of aware of Google Ventures, a couple of their other partners who kind of been, at least in my eyes, fairly active in the past in Europe's scene and, and kind of fairly high profile. So he's a Vidra, MG Siegler, Tom Hume as well. I kind of, these names are some that I recognize, but Avid I don't actually recognize. But I feel that that's kind of representative of Google Ventures profile in general over here is that people definitely know Google Ventures, but actually they're also kind of operating under the radar, at least the kind of the events I've been to or kind of the in the network that I have. I don't feel that they're that visible. So it's kind of interesting that they're targeting Europe, but I don't see them too much. They're definitely on the ground here, but uh, they're kind of operating under the radar. So it's kind of interesting that I hadn't heard of a, a Veed before. And then when you think about kind of generally how they've conducted themselves over the last year or so, it kind of fits in with that. Yeah, I think we actually mentioned that on an earlier podcast when they started to announce a few investments that they had actually been almost kind of dormant for about a year before going into a few of investments this summer. So I would definitely have to agree with you on that. But as far as Avid is concerned, I would have to put her at the top of any list of women to watch in European tech. In addition to her role at Google, we already mentioned she is heavily involved in developing Code.org's activities in Europe, and she has actually been the lead for the organization in the UK. So Code.org organizes the annual Hour of Code Week in December, so I would encourage all listeners to mark their calendars. The next one is coming up in two weeks, so that's the week of December 7th. And she has actually helped to make UK one of the leading territories outside of the US for the project. They have nearly 8 million people who have taken part in the event. There are events taking place for Code.org's Hour of Code across Europe and around the world. So I would tell everybody to log on to Code.org for more information and to find out if there are events near you. So now, in addition to Code.org, we thought it would be interesting to look at some of the Learn to Code initiatives that you should have on your radar and that are homegrown in Europe. So there's definitely lots of Learn to Code projects that are popping up all over. I think we're going to cover just a few of them, but there's definitely a lot more that you guys should be paying attention to and probably know of. I'm going to start with UK-based Decoded. It's one that I actually tend to mention a lot because I really like their approach. Their approach is essentially a bit corporate, actually. They try to brand themselves as the leaders in digital professional development. It's a program that's very accessible. So it's a few day workshop style intro to code. They're not looking at building people into full blown developers. And I think they've actually started to expand as well outside of the UK pretty well. So this is definitely one UK based learn to code project I would have on your radar. Yeah, another kind of UK one, which is, uh, I think is probably one of the most well-known in the UK, at least one of the most well-established, uh, and that's the After School Nonprofit Code Club. So this is a volunteer network teaching children kind of age 9 to 11 to code after school. So yeah, it's pretty much only present in the UK. I believe, actually, I, I feel like I heard a while back that they were kind of looking to, to kind of roll this out uh, in other places, or at least partner in other places. But yeah, currently only in the UK, they've held over 3,000 clubs and work with over 46,000 students. So clearly making a big impact on young people coding. Yeah, and I think another one that's along kind of the same lines, it targets, again, young kids, is UK-based Fire Tech Camp. So 
this is a little bit more of a summer camp style tech education program. They offer just under 60 course options. Uh, some are very creative, like learn to mix music and use code. And I think they, they're kind of combining a bunch of different areas. And the courses themselves are run by college students at universities throughout the UK. So as we mentioned before, there's obviously loads of great tech education programs out there. And if any of the listeners know of one that they would like to share with the rest of us, definitely encourage them to include it in the comments section. Yeah, definitely. And also, if you have any feedback in general on the show, please do let us know in the comments. We take it all on board. You can also reach us on Twitter at Neil S. W. Murray or at Roxanne Vaza and obviously at tech underscore EU. The website's tech.eu. We're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. Please do subscribe and leave us a review if you wish. And we will be back next week. Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks, Neil.